0: Just before Pastor Brody comes to to preach today, I just want to read our passage. So if you would like to, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And it says this Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law
1: Great. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Good morning to all of you. It is still morning. Yes, it is. Good morning to all of you. Happy New Year to you. How many of you guys here today uh, came up with a brand new New Year's resolution last night or this morning or something like that? Some of you? Okay. How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution this morning? (laughs) Oh, okay. Hands were going up. Well, bless you. How many of you have tried a New Year's resolution in the past? Some of us? Okay, a couple more hands go up. I have with me a journal uh, from 2019. I tried to journal for the entire year. Uh, Sometimes it worked, and some other days I just skipped. But on the first page, or one of the first pages, I have a 2019 goals page. So I could track how I was doing with what you might call my own resolutions. Some of them include things like plan a trip away, and drink more water, and respond quicker to text messages... Uh, And I have a little bubble next to each goal so that I can see how I was doing in 2019. And I can see that I managed to get away to Harrison Hot Springs for a couple of days. That was nice, so I filled in that bubble. And I was drinking more water, so that was a good sign. But there are still people waiting for me to respond to their messages from 2019. And if that's you, I would like to apologize. My friends know that sometimes it takes three to five business days to get back to texts. That's how I function, uh, but I'm trying to get better. So that is still, a it's not even filled in because it's still not true. Working on it. New Year's resolutions, they give us something to strive for, right? They give us something to, to hope for. We focus on things like growing our knowledge, being better in our fitness, being more intentional in our relationships, We seek to work on ourselves and hope to come out at the end of 2023 better than when we went into it, right? We want to have proof that our efforts were not in vain. But are our resolutions enough for us to live 2023 in the fullest, the way that God intended us to live? That's a question that we're asking today. You've just heard we're in Philippians 3, so if you haven't opened yet, please do so. Uh, Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He wrote to the church in the city of Philippi, which was in northeastern Greece, and it's a short letter, about 1,800 words in Greek, 2,300 words in English. I was tempted to just read the whole thing for you this morning and leave it at that because God says it better than I could, but we're going to focus in on chapter 3 today. For reference, this sermon this morning is about 4,000 words. So if you can get through this, you can get through Philippians on your own in about 20 minutes, okay? So take some time, be encouraged by that. Uh, Maybe this afternoon, spend a few minutes there. But we're in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I just want to pray again for us as we encounter God this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given us a written record of what you want to tell us, what we need to know you, what we need for salvation, and to understand the unity and the relationship that we are invited into when we put our faith in you. I pray that you would open our minds, our hearts, our ears today. For those of us who've heard this before, may we hear something new. And for those of us who have yet to hear you, I pray, God, that you would cut through the fog, that you would cut through any resistance in our own hearts, and that your spirit would bring us to life this day. I pray this in your most powerful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Throughout Philippians, Paul reminds the church of the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross and the life that he offers through his resurrection from the dead. Paul celebrates God's compassion towards humanity and he encourages the believers in Philippi to rejoice. And Paul rejoices alongside them, even while he is in his prison cell. Looking back at 2022, was it a year of rejoicing for you? Or did it feel more like a prison cell? When you wish someone today a happy new year, are you glad for the year that you just went through, or are you hoping that 2023 is your year to make it? Where are you? Where is your joy? Because often, We hear a passage like this, rejoice in the Lord, and we think that Paul is telling us to be happy in the Lord, but that's not the case. Happiness is fleeting. It's dependent on our actions, on what we have, and on the weather. I learned in preparing for this morning that apparently the optimal temperature for happiness is like 13.9 degrees, which doesn't sound very warm, right? I'm more a 26 to 30 degrees myself. My dad's more a beach in Mexico kind of temperature to be happy. But the weather can affect our happiness among other things around us in life. These past two weeks of Christmas festivities and winter wonderland snowfall may have left you feeling happy, feeling full. Or maybe you come in this morning into this new year feeling bruised as you've weathered a tense season. We find ourselves all over the place. But Paul doesn't say be happy. He says, rejoice, take joy in the Lord. Joy is rooted in the unchanging faithfulness of God, not in the unreliable circumstances of our day. Joy is cemented in who God is, not in who we are. It's found in what God has done, not in what we can do. Through Jesus, we've become part of God's family, and this is something to celebrate. It's our main idea for today, that we live lives of joy because we belong to Jesus. However, Paul turns quickly in the letter, in this chapter, to warn his readers of those who might try to pervert their worship and their joy. Verse 2, so he says, rejoice in the Lord, in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God was bringing new life to both Jews and Gentiles, two very distinct groups of people being brought together. How would they blend? Would the Gentiles have to follow the Jewish traditions to find fellowship in God's church? That's a question that was being asked. And one tradition was circumcision, the physical mark of belonging to the people of God. In Acts chapter 15, after lengthy debate, the church as a whole decided that Gentiles would not have to be circumcised, and I'm sure that that was enough reason for the Gentiles to be rejoicing. Yet in a number of Paul's letters, Paul contends against people who said circumcision was still necessary for salvation. In Philippians, his language is quite strong. We lose it a little bit in the English, but in the Greek, it's quite strong. The three terms that Paul uses, and we'll go through them quickly, are dogs, evildoers, and flesh mutilators. Calling someone a dog meant that they were unclean. Jews often used this against the Gentiles because they didn't follow God's law. Evil doers is a term used throughout the Old Testament referring to wicked people who set themselves up against God's people. And flesh mutilators is a play on words that Paul uses. He's saying that those who insisted on circumcision for acceptance by God were no better than people who religiously cut themselves to appease their pagan gods, a practice that God abhors. It was the opposite What these people were doing was the opposite of what God desired. He takes these terms and flips them back on the people who would normally use them. So now it's these people who are the dogs. These people who are the wicked evildoers. These people who don't understand. And they've got it all wrong. Which leads us to the heart of the matter in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says there's no outward sign, there's no action that can be taken to prove ourselves righteous before God. Submitting to Jesus as Lord and following him with our life is the mark of a heart that has been received by God. There's nothing we can add. And to quell any doubt, Paul puts forward his own proofs of why he would be counted among the most righteous, if it were all about what we can do. That's what he does in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul gives us two categories to work with. He gives us his lineage as a member of God's family, and he also gives us his loyalty to God as a follower. Paul acknowledges, first, humanly speaking, that he seems to have the advantage when it comes to salvation. As a circumcised man himself, he belongs to the family of God, to God's chosen nation, and he could trace his family line all the way back to Jacob, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. He retained his cultural heritage despite the pressures of Roman society all around him. Then he goes in, he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, and being from the tribe of Benjamin has great historical significance. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob born in the promised land. King Saul, the first king of Israel, was a Benjamite. And later, when the kingdom of Israel was divided, it was only the tribe of Benjamin that stayed united to the tribe of Judah, to King David's line, who would eventually produce the Messiah. And so I read this, I look at this, and I think of my own family. I think of my grandfather, who was a proud Mennonite. He traced our lineage back a couple, hundred of year, a couple hundred years and tracked our family's movement through wars and political unrest, through invasions and kidnappings and immigration. I have a binder. I've actually got a few binders of our family lineage and our tree and documents and all this sort of stuff because he was a proud Mennonite, a proud man of his family heritage. And he passed his pride on to his kids and they passed it on to their kids so that we would always remember our family history. And I think that's similar to what Paul is doing here. But he's saying, I have great benefits from my family history. So it's his lineage on one side, it's his loyalty to God on the other. He recognizes the efforts that he himself has made. Verse 5, he says, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a persecutor of the church, and I am blameless. The Pharisees were a religious sect of Judaism. Pharisees were big on personal piety. They believed that the Old Testament was God's inspired word. They also held to oral traditions and kept them as high as the word of God as well. So Paul is saying, I know God's word. I have great respect and esteem for God's word. And because of that, Paul was an indiscriminate persecutor of the church. He crushed any and all who opposed his understanding of God and God's law. And he even went as far as murdering and condoning the murder of followers of Jesus. He claims his righteousness was without fault as he was careful to uphold God's commands and neutralize any who would seem to break God's law. So, in case that's all lost on you, here's what Paul is saying I'm the right kind of person, I'm from the right kind of family, I know the right stuff. I've done the right things. I've been a good person. And Paul would go farther and say, I'm the best kind of person. But how often do we use language like that as well? God knows I'm a good person. I try my best. I pray. I read my Bible. I go to church. I got all my 2022 giving in on time. And I'm ready to get started on this year? We put together a list of things to prove our value to God. Maybe to prove our value to one another. As though we are owed something by God in return for our faithfulness. Paul had a lot going for him. His position, his power, his piety. Paul would have been a sure winner in God's book. And we might think the same about ourselves. But look at what Paul says in verse 7. and verse 8. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul looks at his gains, and he emphatically states that all of it is worthless. Everything that he thought had value was nothing. In fact, it was loss. Why? Because he had finally met Jesus. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. A month ago, Pastor Ray preached on the parable of the treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price. And in both those parables, the men gave up all that they had because they had found something of infinitely more value. And that's very similar to what Paul is saying here. But don't miss the precision Paul uses when he speaks about what he has gained. Paul doesn't say... I'm exchanging the knowledge of God and the traditions of the Pharisees for this new knowledge of Jesus and the traditions of the church. That's not what he's saying. He says he has uh, gained the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It's not knowing about Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. And yes... There's absolutely an intellectual element of following Jesus, but knowing Jesus is more intimate than just knowledge. Consider marriage. When a man and a woman are married, they become one flesh through sexual union, which is the deepest intimacy humans can experience with one another. They know things about one another, that's for sure, that's a given. But they experience one another beyond just mental comprehension. There's a binding, a closeness, a presence, unlike else, It goes far beyond intellect and feelings. Marriage is a metaphor for Jesus and for his bride, the church. Paul says that followers of Jesus are intimately united with Jesus, not through sex, but through the Spirit of God, brought closer than any human relationship we could ever have. When it comes to faith in Jesus, we gain all the blessing that Jesus has as the Son of God— Because we become children of God. Sometimes we make too much of our human heritage. How much do we make of being children of God? I invite you, look around this room. Actually do it. Look around this room right now in this moment. Just take a look around. Look into the faces. Make awkward eye contact and quickly look away. Right? (laughs) We're not the same. We're not like one another. There's differences here. There's uniquenesses. There's, there's diversity in this room. But as children of God, God has brought us together to become one family, Amen. to become something new. And the Spirit of God unites us not only to Jesus as our older brother, not only to God, our Heavenly Father, but also to one another our brothers and sisters here. And if you're in this room today and you don't belong to Jesus, if you don't follow him, then when you are looking around, you are looking into the eyes of people who can be your brothers and sisters. You can be part of this family. But what Paul is saying is that a person isn't brought into God's family by adherence to a certain set of rules. Do these things and then I'll let you into the house. Look this way, act this way, get your life together, and then you're welcome. That's not what Paul is saying. We can't make any effort to win God over. We can make all the promises and resolutions that we want, but our righteousness can't compare to the perfect standard that God requires. He's not even on the same scale as us. We'll never hit perfection. We will always fall short. We can't work hard enough or do enough good or avoid enough bad to undo the sin and the rebellion in our hearts. We can resolve ourselves to more prayer, or we could start that new uh, reading plan that we will put off once we hit Leviticus and try to pick up again in the fall to try to catch back up. Right? We can start giving, we can start serving, we can do a little more on top of all the other life commitments that we have but none of it changes our heart posture of resistance to God, the sin that still draws us away from Him we need more than a new resolution but God doesn't need us to convince Him to save us from our sin God doesn't need us to convince him. His heart is already for us. And in Jesus, we find hope. Verse nine, Paul says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's desire is to gain Jesus and to be found in him, that his whole existence would be wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus. He knows that the law cannot grant him life. He's tried that. It's not working. And we try that all the time too. And we know that it doesn't work. We don't even keep our own standards when we set them. We bend the bar of our morality, no matter how low we set it. Maybe I'll try the Ten Commandments. That's just ten rules. I bet I could keep ten rules. Well, until I consider what my brother or my friend got for Christmas, then I'm going to covet just a little bit. Right? Oops, that's Law 10. Broke that. Okay, let's try again. Um, Okay, I'll just love God and love people. Okay, but people annoy me. Like, pretty easily. And it turns out I'm not really great at loving them and coincidentally, I'm not so great at loving God either. Okay, so scrap that one. I will just do unto others as I would have them do unto me because then, you know, it's like I get something out of it. It'll keep me a bit more accountable. As long as they don't know what I said about them to my family when I got home and they couldn't hear me Uh, and I put them down, or or behind closed doors, the things that I feel in my heart toward that. Ooh, I don't really want people feeling that to me. Okay, so I can't keep that either. And on and on we go. It doesn't matter what standard you pick. It doesn't matter what law you put in place. It doesn't matter what resolution you create. It doesn't work. And we know this. This isn't news. We know it. We feel it. Some of us walk into this room totally full of joy and it's an exciting new year and some of us feel broken and burdened and battered. Paul goes so far as to say that he actually managed to keep the law and it still wasn't enough. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or another translation says, Be holy. As your Father is holy. So, God's holiness and His perfection is so far beyond what I can do. And if I asked you guys, I bet I'd see a lot more hands than at the start of today when I asked about your resolutions, whether or not we think we can keep God's law. Right? We can't. But Jesus did, Jesus does. He met the standard through his life and his death and his resurrection. His his record is spotless, and through faith in him, we receive that record for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus paid it all. He took our sin. He gave us life. He continues to give life to any who would come to him. That's something that we should rejoice in because we need Jesus' righteousness. We need his righteousness. And if you've not yet experienced the forgiveness of God or the freedom of Jesus or the new life granted by the Spirit of God, then today can be your day. There's hope for all of us. Gaining Jesus is gaining everything. But then there's more. God doesn't stop at just clearing our debt, getting rid of our guilt, giving us the honor of being his children, and freeing us from the power of sin and death. We aren't waiting for heaven in order to experience new life. It starts today. And this is what Paul describes in verse 10. He says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in death. So God conforms us to the image of his son. And we get to reflect his life through our own. Jesus says that when we trust in him, we are made new. We are brought to life through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus calls this our second birth. We're all born physically. But we are spiritually dead and blind and deaf until Jesus brings us to life through his own resurrection. When the Spirit of God brings us to life through that living hope that is Jesus. We walk in this world as the living among the dead. And that's a visceral image. Far too many movies have been made with graphic pictures. But those living without Jesus are not living. They are dead. Resurrection means stand up in Greek. Those who have gained Jesus are standing upright. They're alive in the midst of those who are still lying down, dead so a question for you this New Year's morning are you living your life standing upright and alive or are you still laying down dead or are you playing dead in BC we have a lot of bears and when you meet a brown bear or a grizzly bear you are supposed to play dead it's your best chance at survival but how often do we as Christians see threats in our lives and think of them as grizzly bears how often do we play dead in light of possible persecution or embarrassment for our faith in Jesus Christian stand up Not literally, not right now, unless you want to. Stand up if you feel called to. I can't stop you. But stand up, get up, live your life upright, show the world the life that you have received in Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he calls you to stand up, to get up off the floor, to get out of death and walk in life. We need the new life that Jesus offers. We need resurrection. We need resurrection. We can't be the same in 2023 as we were in 2022, as we were yesterday. My friends, my family, we are called to more. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you've entered union with him, and he is in the process of what we call sanctification. That's the process of making you more like himself. That's what Jesus does. To be united with Jesus means to identify with him. Christian literally means little Christ. And that's related to both our position before God and our performance. Your position before God cannot change. Okay? I want to make sure that's clear. We are children of God if our faith is in Jesus. We are loved and adored and cherished. God has poured his affection out on us He has raised us. He is for us. He is with us. His spirit leads us, and He will never let us go. Promises, assurance, based on who Jesus is and what He has done. And because of that, we respond in faith and in obedience. So is your obedience like Jesus? Is mine? Not is your obedience like mine. Is my obedience like Jesus as well? Because I'm in this too. Do we put others first? Do we love the loveless? Do we judge with impartiality? Do we seek to honor God in every, every decision and thought and word and action. Do we submit every desire and hope and dream to God, trusting him even when it doesn't work the way we hope? Even when it doesn't go the way that we want? Jesus reforms our passions to align with his own. Transforms our heart to be like his. And that's far better than anything that we could come up with. Jesus perfectly obeyed God. And he experiences an an unfathomable depth of relationship with his heavenly father. And that's something that we get as well. We receive that through the resurrection life that he offers. Yet being united with Jesus means experiencing life the way that he experienced it. And, Paul says, suffering with him along the way. Jesus was hated, he was abused, he was mocked, he was misunderstood. I hate being misunderstood. I overthink and overexplain everything because I want to make sure that people know what I mean and that I'm causing the least amount of offense around me. But when it comes to being one with Jesus, we are going to offend. We are going to be misunderstood. We are going to be hated. People will turn against us. And we shouldn't expect any different if Jesus experienced it too. But we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus no matter what. No matter what. And as we do that, we enter into his death. We die to ourselves, our passions, our goals, so that we can live like Jesus. And although we give up our lives, we know that we've been raised to life in him. It might mean that our literal lives are on the line, and we have brothers and sisters around the world who give up their lives every day for Jesus. It might mean that there are aspects of our life where we are still trying to be God ourselves. When we think that we are making the right decisions, we don't trust or listen to God's voice, we don't follow his commands because we think we know better. When we let the wrongs that people commit against us become our perception of them. When we put ourselves first as more important and we ignore the needs of those around us, we're so good at performing evil, at perverting justice, at perpetuating sin. So I need us, I need to take my eyes off of myself You need to take your eyes off of you and put them back on Jesus. Look at him. Know him. Obedience can only flow when it comes from the peace and the assurance of knowing we belong to Jesus who has conquered death itself. He is more than capable of undoing evil. He's the only one who judges fairly. He has shown us mercy and so now we get to show mercy. He has shown us forgiveness and now we get to forgive. When we gain Jesus, we have more than we could ever hope for or need. We find the life that we've been searching for all along. And this is Paul's concluding thought in verse 11. That by any means necessary, through the power of the resurrection and through his suffering and becoming like Jesus in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's speaking of the physical resurrection that will come at the end of time. There will come a day when everyone will stand physically before God to be judged. And those who belong to Jesus, who have received His perfect righteousness through faith, will be received into life. And they will receive resurrected, glorified bodies. No more death, full of joy, life with God through Jesus forever. That is a promise. That is an assurance. Not based on anything you can do, but only based on what God has done. On the other side, those who reject Jesus, those who rely on their imperfect righteousness, will be sent away from God forever into eternal death, experiencing real physical torment and anguish. Only death, no joy, no rest. As they were in life, separated and laying dead, so they will also be forever. Don't let that be you. If you're here today and you're not following Jesus, if you haven't met him yet, if you're still going after your own righteousness, your own efforts, you're putting the work in day after day after day, stop. Turn around. We use the word repent, which means to turn away from sin and to turn toward Jesus, Let Jesus save you. Leave your efforts behind and trust in Jesus for your salvation. And if you're here today and you've been following Jesus for a while, it's the same thing for you. Stop following. Stop trying to earn, is what I meant to say. Stop trying to earn God's love and His favor by proving that you're following Him. Because you've already received it. So live out of the fullness of life. Solidly assured that nothing will change your position before God. Let your obedience flow from that assurance. Don't make your obedience somehow the marker for whether or not he accepts you. Experience the fullness of life right now. It changes every day, every single day. Resurrection life starts now. A friend of mine a few years ago, she made uh, she began asking God to grow a fruit of the Spirit in her each year. First it was joy, then it was peace, and so on. My friend made this commitment to seek God's transforming resurrection life in a very tangible way. Was she always successful? No. You know, was every waking moment a transformed moment? Not always. But over the course of the year, she could see how God was giving her opportunity to become more like Jesus, to experience more life, to be made new every single day. And I think that's going to be one of my goals too. She got to experience some sanctification. I want to experience more sanctification. You can call it a New Year's resolution if you want. I'm going to call it my New Year's resurrection. And so I want you to think... What's going to be your New Year's resurrection? What would your life look like if you became even closer to Jesus? Maybe that's the start of your relationship. You aren't there yet, but you're ready to go. Maybe there's a step of faith. You're waiting on Jesus for something and you need to step further. Maybe you don't know what that looks like yet. That's okay. But resurrection life is an everyday, ongoing journey with Jesus. So get to know him more. Learn from him. Rest in him. He will increase your joy. Let his righteousness and obedience be the means by which you live in obedience. Now as an expression of your salvation, not a means of earning it. Huh? It, everything changes. God has deep favor and joy in you. And we can have deep joy in him. And we get to live this new resurrected life that Jesus alone offers. That's what we celebrate at communion. And we're coming now to the Lord's table. So if you have one of these communion cups, you can pull it out. If you didn't get one, there are more at the back. But all those who call Jesus their Savior, their Lord, their joy, we come together to remember. Including Uh, The children among us who are followers of Jesus. And there's a card, if you got it from outside, that's got the bread and the cup on it. You can pull that out and follow along. And if you choose today to surrender to Jesus, if you choose to submit your life to him, then get up. Now you can actually stand up and you can go to the back and get one of the cups. Or I see a couple of ushers coming around the aisles in case you need it. But you can participate with us in this and celebrate what Jesus has done. If that's not you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not ready for that, if there's still something blocking you, then I'm glad you're here, and I invite you to observe and see what's about to take place. But as we come to the table, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed and sentenced to death. Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples. He was remembering when God delivered his people out of the clutches of Egypt, And slavery. We find that in the book of Exodus. Jesus was about to deliver his people out of the clutches of sin and death and the slavery that sin binds us in. And I know this morning the Spirit of God has been at work around us, in us. He's here with us. If something has come to mind through this time, don't ignore it. Maybe there's sin in your heart that you've been holding on to that you need to repent. You need to turn away. You've been holding on to something else. You've been trying to find life somewhere else. You've been trying to find joy somewhere else. Jesus says, bring it to me. He doesn't push us away. Let go of that and hold on to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you walk into this new year in brokenness. There's relationship that has fallen apart. Maybe you've been the one who's made it fall apart or maybe you've just been on the receiving end. It doesn't matter. Jesus offers restoration. As his children, we get to, as God's children, we get to come together. We get to be restored to one another. So if you need to restore a relationship today, don't leave this place. Don't leave this day without doing that. Calling a person up, sending a note, arranging a coffee, having a face-to-face with someone who might even be sitting right next to you. You're pretending like it's okay. Anyways, I'm going off. Um, We're going to spend a couple of minutes just asking the Lord to show us our hearts, which can be a scary thing, but knowing with assurance that he forgives and he redeems and he saves. So let's spend a minute in thanksgiving, in repentance, and I'll call us back when it's time. I thank you that through your death and your resurrection you have restored us and reconciled us to our heavenly father that we have been brought back to life if we put our faith in you it's a faith that only you give it's all on you you are so good to us that you offer forgiveness and freedom and salvation to any who would come you call us all into repentance and into new life and I thank you that we get to experience that with one another so Lord as we come to your table Forgive us for the sin we have committed as we forgive those who have committed sin against us. You are so holy and so good. And we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So again, kids, if you have the communion card, there's a verse on it right next to the bread. There's also going to be a verse on screen. I'm going to read from the card. It's a little different, but it's the same reference. Luke 22:19 19 says this. And Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and broke it. He handed it to them and said, This is my body. It's given for you. Every time that you eat it, do this in memory of me. Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, not because he deserved death, but because we do. For our sin that we commit against God. The sin we commit against one another, but ultimately against God. Through his death, we receive life. So, you can open your wafer. This is the body of Christ, which is broken for all of us. Let's do this in remembrance together. Next on my card is a picture of a cup, and it's the next verse... from that same dinner. It says, In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is poured out for you. As the perfect Son of God, Jesus took on human flesh and is the only one who can stare death in the face and come out the victor. His blood cleanses our sin and restores us in relationship to our Father in heaven. So, this is the blood of Christ shed for all of us. Let's drink in remembrance together. Jesus, out of your great love for us, you gave up your life. You laid your life down so that we could be raised up. And it is only in you that we can find the fullness of life that we were created for. It's only in you that we can find the rest that we so desperately long for. It's only in you that we have the assurance of a steady, unchanging hope. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name amen. By participating in communion, you declare the death of Jesus. You declare his resurrection, and together we declare that he is coming back one day. We take part with Jesus, and we have joy, not because of anything we can do, but because of everything that he has done. And so as we celebrate and rejoice, let's stand together and offer him another song of praise. Jesus, there's nothing that we could possibly do to repay you for what you have done for us. And I thank you that you have paid it all. Jesus, you're so far beyond what we could imagine, and yet you have given yourself to us. And so as we take steps into this new year, Lord, whatever you have prepared for what this year looks like, We know that you go before us. We know that you lead us. Your spirit in us, guiding us in relationship, in the choices we make in the day-to-day. Father, I pray you would give us strength, endurance, patience, love. pray, Lord, that you would increase our joy and our faithfulness. Lord, grow in us more of you. And may we show this world how good you are. And may we show this world how much life there is in you. And God, give us courage when we want to lay down again and just hide in the shadows. Lord, you've brought us into life and you've brought us into light and you have way more for us. So break our expectations. Break our resolutions. And instead, may we experience even more of your resurrection. I pray this for all of us in your most powerful name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to get connected further, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to connect with brothers and sisters, like Pastor Mark said, we have our welcome center, we have our prayer center, we have our resource center, and the food center is open for coffee, so stop in there as well. Thanks for being with us. A very happy new year, a very joyful new year to you.